Well, hey, welcome. Um, I'm glad that you're here, uh, safe and sound. And um, I also want to welcome everybody online and folks who are catching like a rebroadcast because all the inclement weather, um, that sort of thing. But, but glad you're here. We are wrapping up this series. But before we get in, before we go much further, uh, I need to say just a few things, get these things uh, off my chest, so to speak. The first is this, um, how about them dogs? Right? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, uh, many of you know, and I'm a big George Bulldog fan, and so uh, I got to celebrate the first national championship in my entire life um, at the expense of a few of you. And so you know who you are. Um, but hey, uh, it, it's kind of been a roller coaster of a past week because um, the day before that national championship game, which was Monday night, so last Sunday, um, I was in Georgia uh, gathered with my family uh, for my grandfather's funeral last Sunday afternoon. Uh, my pop, 94 years old, lived a faithful life. Um, he was married to his wife, Alma, my nana, for 67 years, was faithful in all relationships, most importantly, in his relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and so, uh, so last Sunday, uh, man, we got to mourn together, be there together, but, but to celebrate because pop had hope, and hope has a name. Hope's name is Jesus, so pop had Jesus. And now Jesus has pop. And so, um, listen, it, it was a, a big roller coaster of emotion. I just want to say thank you because so, so, so many of you reached out to me, um, like uh, congratulating me about the game, but also consoling um, me as we kind of go through that. And so I just appreciate it. I appreciate you being the church uh, to me. And, um, and so just wanted to start there and share that. But um, it, it's, it's an honor for my family to be a part of a place um, who, who shows up. Right, and shows the love of Christ, especially seasons like that. And so, um, so yeah, we are in this series called Long Story Short, we're wrapping this up, it's a three week series on the Bible, okay? And we're really excited about what's coming next. We're about to go into a series through the Gospel of Mark, okay? And so I'm super excited. That kicks off next week, and Monty will be back kind of beginning that trek. So looking forward to it. Uh, that's definitely a series, man. If you have a Bible, make sure you bring it. We're gonna be in it. Uh, just walking through the Gospel of Mark next week. But, um, but I, I want to I kind of start and, and wrap this up. A, a few years ago, my wife and I, we went to a game night with a lot of other families, right? Um, young couples and old couples, all this kind of stuff. It's a whole conglomerate, but, but no kids. So everybody pitched in, got babysitters, and we're there, and we're playing all these different kinds of games. We knew most of the people there, but we didn't know everyone. And uh, we find ourselves sitting at this big kitchen table, and we're playing this game where, I forget the name of it, maybe you've played it, uh, but where like uh, a, a card is read and it describes someone and then everybody votes on who they think that person is, right? And so we're playing this game. And again, we know about half the people here and we don't know about the other half, but um, like the, one of the questions was, was this, who is most likely to show up to their class reunion in a rented Lamborghini, Right? And so, listen, I'll just say, if you have soft feelings, this isn't the game for you because you kind of find out what people think of you. And so everybody, it, it was a full sweep. Everybody voted for this same guy. And he's like, what does that say about me? This kind of thing. Well, then there's a question that's like, who's most likely to, um, who's most likely to have thrown a birthday party for their pet? And I'm like, that's 100% my wife. Right? Like she totally would do that. And she did just a few weeks ago, did that. But um, then there was a card that said, who's most likely to tell run on stories? And listen, I get it. I get it because I communicate a lot for like a living. But let me just say this. I didn't know everyone at this table. 
Okay, and so we're voting, we're kind of all doing this thing, and, and it's about split between me and this other guy who really did tell run-on stories, right? Um, and, it's about, and then this lady, this young woman who I just met at this table, she's the deciding vote, and she votes for me. And I'm thinking, why? I just want to know, can we pause the game? Why did you vote for me? Why is that? And she said, well, I heard that you're a preacher. And I said, that's a stereotype. Listen, listen, not all. And I was like, listen. And so I started thinking, especially this week as I'm preparing this. And it's like, it's, listen, I, I'm kind of like, I, I'm young, okay? It's guys like Monty who have developed that kind of stereotype, okay? So, so look, but, but I get it. I get it. When a preacher says, hey, long story short, you're like, yeah, right, right? And, and I get it. I get it. We're doing the best we can. We meet that phrase with a bit of skepticism, but... But this series, that's what it's been about. Long story short, if we could just kind of summarize the Bible, God's word, what's it communicating? Why is it important? Why do we need to dive in? Why do we need to lean in? Why do we choose to build our lives on this book? That, that's what we're looking at. And so we're saying, hey, long story short, if we were to summarize this, this is, this is what it kind of looks like. Because the reality is, in a postmodern world, the, the culture we live in, Western civilization, for the Bible tells me so, is no longer a valid response for most people. Maybe there's a time in our culture where, where people would accept that, right? But, but no longer today can, can you just say, you know what, I, I believe this because the Bible tells me so, because so many people will, will, will try to shoot holes through that. And they're like, well, well why? Why can you believe that? Why? And that sort of thing. And so we know that's a struggle, that's a tension that we live in. Many of us, it's a tension that we manage. It's not a problem to solve, but we do wanna help equip you as, as our people, as we live lives that fit into the pages of this book, the pages of the New Testament, to be equipped and confident in what we believe. And so, so that's what this is about. And so this long story, long story short, this long story is, is so unique. It's different than any other story. And I love a good story. I love to tell a good, I love to tell stories. Hopefully some of them are good, but I, I love stories. And I always have, I think many of you too, too. I, I love funny stories, right? I, I love um, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, I, I love Toy Story, all of them, because I'm like the same age as Andy. And so I bawled my eyes out. Like, I'm not afraid to say that, but I, I love all kinds of stories. I never really liked the never ending story. So people remember this one, like that flying catfish dog thing creeped me out. And so other than that, but, but, but you know, most good stories begin with this phrase, once upon a time, and then Hans Christian Andersen filled in the blank, Walt Disney hijacked it and changed the ending, and voila, we have a story, right? And, and so that's how um, stories, most of them that we're well familiar with come about, but we wanna be very clear up front. I mean, that the Bible is not a Disney blockbuster, the Bible is not a once upon a time fairy tale. The Bible is the true story of the one true God. That the Bible is the true story of the one true God. And, and so listen, listen to, to what the Bible has to say about the Bible. I, I, I'm gonna read this, but they're gonna flash up on the screen. But listen to what the Bible has to say about the Bible. James chapter one, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Think of that. The Bible is saying, hey, don't just merely listen to this. You'll, you'll deceive yourself, but you have to put it into action. And then Monty mentioned this one last week from 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is God-breathed. Think about that statement. 
All scriptures God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isaiah chapter 4 in the Old Testament, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And then in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, these red letters, as Jesus speaking, he says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And, and, and so, so we hear what the Bible sort of has to say, and, and there's, way, there's way more examples. Those are just a few to give you a tip of the iceberg idea. But, but, but we hear that, and then we might ask ourselves, though, why should we trust what the Bible has to say about the Bible? Or furthermore, why should we trust what the Bible has to say about anything, right? Because the reality is that many of us who would show up on a day like today and lean in, and maybe you're kind of skeptical, but you're at least, you're at least like questioning enough to show up today. Many of us in this room, we really don't have a problem with God some of us do, and we get that, and we're glad you're here. We welcome that. Most of us don't have a problem with God. It's the whole word of God concept that creates tension, creates the struggle. Because when we find ourselves at odds with the way he's designed this life to be lived as documented in scripture, as detailed in his word, we begin to find ourselves either reluctant to unpack what could make us uncomfortable, or we try to justify ourselves, and in doing so, we discredit the very word of God. And so it's not that we have this problem with God. It's that, hey, how are, how are we going to live our lives in a way that, um, that we're comfortable with in light of what God says? And that's the tension. And it's when what we decide we will do contradicts God's will. That's where we find ourselves at odds. And so, so we might know, we might hear God's word, but then like, like scripture says, we'll deceive ourselves if we don't follow it. And Jesus says, hey, blessed are you. You hear it and you obey it. You put it into action. These are connected in every way. The, way. the way that we live our lives should reflect the way God has called us to live through Scripture. And again, that's head knowledge, but putting it to action. You know, a few years ago, my wife and I were... Um, we had our, at the time we had two kids and they're both in the back seat and we just left church and parents, I'm describing a scene you've probably been in. Um, we just left, maybe we're like half a mile, quarter mile down the road and our kids just start going at it, right? Like they just like are screaming at each other, gnashing of teeth, they're yelling, they're making up cuss words and using them. They're doing all this kinds of stuff, right? And, and we just left church and my wife, she's trying to talk to me and, and we can't even hear over the kids. And so finally she has enough. And like a referee, she just spins around and she says, guys, guys. And, and they kind of get quiet. She says, listen, you know we're supposed to love Jesus and love like Jesus. And my, my daughter, without missing a beat, she said, mom, that's not the problem. Grayson is not Jesus. <laughs> you, <laughs> and we get that, right? We're like, I know that. I know that I know I'm supposed to love Jesus and love like Jesus, but this isn't Jesus. If this, if everybody else was Jesus, it'd be way easier to love them, right? But we, and so that's the disconnect between what we know, what we're called to do and how we actually uh, live this out. And so to my daughter, I'm like, touche, he's not Jesus, but we're called to anyways, right? But therein lies the struggle, and, and so we, we buy into this lie that we can have this vertical relationship with God and it not impact every horizontal relationship in our life. That's just not the case. Because as Christ followers, if we're gonna follow him, 
he loved people in a way that we too should love them. And so, so we want to, to, to live lives that fit into the pages of this book. And the beauty of God's word, the beauty of God's story is that we've actually been invited into it. We've been invited into this living, breathing word, not as like a spectator or a fan, right? Like last Monday night, I'm, on the, like, I'm with my family and I'm yelling at a TV. I have no impact on what's happening. But that's not the case when you're following Jesus. You've been invited into the story and he can use you to propel his mission and to impact real change, eternal change in the kingdom of God. So we've been invited into it as a participant, as a follower. And we see this, that, that God's word, it's alive and moving. I love this from Hebrews chapter four, the, the, the author of Hebrews writes these words about God's word. Get this, for the word of God is alive and active. Just think about that for a moment. What other book, what other book in all of history, other than the best-selling book of all history, makes that claim that this book is alive and active? It goes on sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book. This book is like a sword that, that can judge our thoughts and attitudes, and it's not meant to condemn. It's meant to mold us to look and live more like Jesus. That's what this book is intended to do. And so the word of God, think about that claim, alive, active. It's a bold claim. And so let's begin this conversation with an overview of what this living, breathing book is. And so let me just say, before we go much further, I know the last three weeks we've been looking at this from a few different perspectives, notably um, what Monty has brought to the table and what I'll bring us. So some of this, some of this is indeed overlap. Some of it will be recap, but it's unique perspectives on God's word. And, and, and so, so I want you to lean in and allow some of this to, to remind you and some of it to encourage and challenge you. But first off, when we look at, look at this book, the Bible, it, it's not really just a book, it's a library. It's a library made up of 66 books. All right, but, the, but this library is divided notably into two sections. We have the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, so each of these have several books themselves. And so the Old Testament, it has 39 books. We can go ahead and throw this up. And the New Testament, 27 books, okay? And so if you take it, though, here's what's so interesting. You, you think, oh, it's divided into two parts. But actually, this is what that looks like. So here's the Old Testament and here's the New Testament. There's way more in the Old Testament than the New Testament. And, and, and these, two, these, two, uh, these two sections, they're, they're really simplified by promises that God made. Okay, so essentially the Old Testament is this promise God makes to a nation of people, a group of people. All right, and how that story unfolds. And the New Testament begins when Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up on the scene and he marks this new covenant, this new promise. And so in this New Testament, it's all about God's promise to, to all people through Jesus. And so we see the same story woven all throughout. But, but here's what is so fascinating, that, that, that it's two parts, it's, it's two promises that kind of lead to the same thing. It's all about Jesus, but it was written three different languages, all right, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, across three different continents, Africa, Asia, and Europe. Over this huge span of time, about 1,500 years 
okay? Spanning 60 generations, over 40 different authors all contributed to this library that we call the Bible, God's word, this book. Okay, and here's what is so, so neat, because it doesn't matter like, like, like your taste and style or writing or literature, like whatever you like, it's in here. And, and these words are gonna get small just to even communicate that there's so much, but let me read. Like, here's a sampling of what you find when you show up into the catalog of the Bible and you're like, man, like what is there in it? Get this, there's historical narrative, prophecy, proverbial sayings, legal material, poetry, songs, genealogy list, letters, apocalyptic texts, accounts of war, celebrations, speeches, tales of betrayal, encouragement, wisdom, letters, funerals, romance, and more. Uh, all of that, all of that. And, and, and the books of the Bible, they receive their names for different reasons. Like sometimes you'll hear us, we'll refer to a book and you're like, I wonder how I got that name. That kind of thing. Well, well sometimes central events were common like Exodus. Exodus details the deliverance, the exodus of God's people from Egypt. Okay, so, so that's why it's named that. Or like Acts in the New Testament, like A-C-T-S, not like the throwing the Acts, like, you know, that we do at downtown. But I'm talking about like Acts, like action, because these detail the actions of the early followers of Jesus. And so central themes were common, but also many books are named after their author. They got super creative, like, like the book of Luke or, or some named after a main character, like the book of Ruth and, and others after a prophet like Isaiah. And many were even letters to individuals or entire churches or entire communities, like most of the letters in the New Testament written by the apostle Paul, right? He meets Jesus, has this radical transformation. He goes on, he's writing and he's planting churches. And these are letters that he wrote to those people, early followers of Christ. And we get to read those. And so what we've done, we, we've canonized this book. We, we've, we've, we've brought all of, all of these, these little books together to make up this library, okay? And, and then we've added, we've added numbers to it to help us track along, right? We, like that's essentially what that is. So just so you know, the early writers, they weren't writing and, and numbering each sentence. They weren't doing that. We've done that to kind of help us catalog and navigate the library better. I call them biblical addresses, um, but they're essentially just uh, citations, okay? And so here's an example. This is for most people. I get it. I get it. You're familiar with this? Some of you not. And that's okay. It's okay because we want to learn this stuff. And so here's an example. John 3.16. John is the book, okay? So when we say John 3.16, we're talking about the book the first number is the chapter. And so in your Bible, it's gonna be the big number. The biggest number you see is gonna be the chapter. And then the small one, like by each little sentence, that sort of thing, is the verse. And so we see this, that this is a mass library with all these different writers across all this time, across all these different places, but it's telling one story. Many books, but one idea. Here it is, that Jesus is coming. Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again. Friends, listen, that's the, the message, the core message of, of the Bible is that Jesus has come. Jesus is going to come again, right? And, and that's where we live. That's where we pick up in the story. And in this article from pastor and author, Dr. Derek Vreeland, he writes this, when you approach the Bible with Jesus at the center, he writes this, in reading the Bible with Jesus at the center, we come to understand all of scripture in and through Jesus, M meaning that the written word leads us to the living word. The word made text leads us to the word made flesh. The spirit inspired word leads us to the spirit conceived word. 
And so say, when, when you read the Bible in light of Jesus being central and knowing that Jesus will come again, then, then you begin to see it as this alive and moving book with this invitation for you to take part in it. And so that's this like 50,000 foot view of the Bible, but, but still the question remains, how do we know we can trust it? Not how do we know it's true? Well, there's several tests that theologians use to, to determine if a document, if a historical document can be accepted as truth. And I'll just be honest, like some of you, man, you know way more about this than I. I'm not an expert in any of these tests, but I am fascinated by all of them. And so I wanna share briefly with you a few of these tests. The first is the bibliographical test. Okay, so the bibliographical test is, is essentially what, um, it's essentially what uh, like historians use to determine like how accurate a historical document is. Okay, so Monty talked about this when, when he was talking about the Dead Sea Scrolls and how, how, how there's a 98% accuracy with, with the text we use today, tracing it all the way back to the Dead Sea Scrolls. We can cross-reference these, right? But, but this test, it determines how many samples of this writing do we have, okay? Because the more people who are saying the same thing from a historical context, we can say, okay, well, that matches up. That makes sense. And so we cross-reference those statements with other historical facts, and so when it comes to bibliographical tests, historians and theologians have discovered over 5,600 ancient manuscripts that speak to the authenticity of the Bible. Just when they say, hey, we wanna look as objectively as we possibly can, we just wanna see what, what historical documents say about history and wanna cross-reference these. There's over 5,600 documents that speak to the authenticity of the Bible. That's a bibliographical test, right? And then we have external tests. I love these mainly because my kids, they, they like to play in the dirt, right? And they like to dig stuff up. They like to ask questions about it. That's what people do, right? They dig up fossils and this kind of stuff. External tests, it, it, it's where essentially um, you look at the ways that the Bible and the earth say the same thing, all right? And external tests are used to support things like locations and dates, all right? And so scientists, they'll look at these um, they'll look at all, all of these examples of, uh, of history that has, that, that has been fossilized and, and they'll be able to determine dates and they'll base that on some of these documents that they, they claim things happened at certain times and certain places. And they look at that. And scientists have discovered over 25,000 archaeological artifacts that support the accuracy of the Bible. Over 25,000 artifacts. And they look at it and it says, this, this supports what this book is saying. It does that. Does it prove it? Does it support it? Absolutely. We see that, and so that's another test. And then we have, we have fulfilled prophecy. Now, this is, a, this is crazy stuff. This is exciting stuff. This is like predictions about the future. But here's what's so cool. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the future, notably hundreds and hundreds about the Messiah, about Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the central figure not in just the Bible, but in human history. It's who we mark our time by, no other person but the name of Jesus. Okay, so the name above all names, all these prophecies about him. And so I just wanna share a few prophecies about Christ. Genesis 3 says, he'd be born of a woman. Isaiah 7, he'd be born of a virgin. Psalm 2, be the son of God. Genesis 49, from the tribe of Judah. Isaiah 11, he'd be from the family of Jesse. Jeremiah 23, be of the house of David. Micah 5, he'd be born in the city of Bethlehem. 
which wasn't even a city yet. Bethlehem hadn't been created or founded or, or, or built yet, and there's prophecy that he would be born in this city to be, Psalm 72, be presented with gifts for men from the east. Isaiah 7, he'd be called Emmanuel, God with us. And that's just a sampling of prophecies about the birth of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to fulfill every single prophecy to a T throughout his life and ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. And so all of these tests, they point to the authenticity of the scriptures. But to be sure, and I just want to like say this to you to be sure, God is greater than history or theology or archaeology or prophecy. Friends, I want you to know that, meaning scripture does not need to be proven. The word of God comes with authority from the almighty God. And while these tests are fascinating, there's one piece that rises above all of those. And for me, it's this right here, evidence of life transformation. Evidence of life transformation. I wanna kind of paint this picture as we, as we talk about this. I want you to imagine receiving news that's so hard to believe, but so life-changing, you have to investigate. So think for just a moment, right? Like, like you, you, you get home from work tomorrow afternoon and you've got a letter in the mail stating that it's been discovered through like a series of court orders that you have been named the newfound and rightful owner of the playoff winning Cincinnati Bengals. This $2.3 billion organization has been completely transferred into your name and it's now your responsibility. So think about that. You get news that, that the Bengals are now yours. $2.3 billion organization has been signed over to your name. Some of you be like, it's about time for some leadership change. Some of you be like, we just won a playoff game. Not now, like don't change anything, right? But regardless, this claim is so massive and you might be so skeptical and you're thinking, no, they're just really looking for me to renew my car warranty, right? And this kind of thing, you're like, what is this? And, and you get this, you'd be skeptical. But wouldn't it at least be worth like a phone call? Like it's on letterhead. This thing looks official. Wouldn't it at least be worth like a follow-up email or, or at least to turn on ESPN and watch the ticker to see like, hey, does my name pop up at all? This kind of thing, because the claim is so big. Or imagine this, you receive a letter on official IRS letterhead stating that you owe $300,000 in back taxes. That might get your attention, right? And you look at that, and some of you'd be like, that's impossible. I've never even made that in my entire life. Like, there's no way. But, but you would look at that, and no matter how skeptical you'd be, you'd think twice before just tossing it in the trash because of the claim. And so you'd have to look into the situation. So no matter how improbable you feel these letters might be because they're so massive and potentially life-altering, wouldn't you at least investigate them? You know, Dr. Tim Culler, he refers to this in regard to the Bible as the magnitude of the claim. He says, when you're talking about the Bible and what this book claims, it demands an investigation because of what hangs in the balance. You see, the fact that the Bible tells the true story of how Jesus lived, died, and lives again and that by believing in him, we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life. That is too big of a deal for you to not look into yourself. That Jesus making statements like, I and the Father are one. Right? Jesus says that. 
that I and the Father are one, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And so Jesus states these claims, but then he goes on to prove it. And so listen, believe him or not, love him or not, the cross proves that Jesus loves you. The cross proves that Jesus loves you, right? The resurrection proves that you can have a relationship in heaven for all of eternity with him. Okay, so, so, so whatever you believe about Jesus, the cross already proves his love for you. And so isn't the, the claim that he makes that I will resurrect and then he does it, isn't that claim at least worth your investigation, at least worth you reading God's word about that for yourself? Because you see, many Christians, and I'm not trying to indict anyone, but, but I know this to be true. It's been true for me at different times in my life. Many Christians merely settle to follow someone following Jesus instead of following Jesus yourself. That's not what you were invited to do. You've been invited as an individual to, to give your life to Christ and to investigate these claims yourself. You've been invited to do that. We can do that together. We can do that together, but none of us, none of us can, 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 can have enough faith for all of us. None of us can, can, can do that. We will eventually let you down. So place your faith in the only one who never will, the one you were never holding up, to place your faith in Jesus and investigate what that means. And so you see, Jesus invites you to do that. He invites you to follow him. And what we have to understand is that first century Christians, these, these first century Jews who, who, who chose to follow Jesus, they would have been the last people on the face of the planet in all of history to believe that God could in fact be a person. We believe that, that, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. They would have been the last people to ever believe that because at the time, at the time when Jesus makes that claim, they've been taught for over 2,000 years to never worship anything created. And so there's no way that God in their minds could become a person. And they're thinking that they have these prophecies, but that's what they've been taught. And so they find themselves in this tension. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with these fulfilled prophecies? What do you do with this man who died and came back to life? You see, Jews didn't even have, um, they didn't even use the name of God. It was too holy. But after Jesus died, dozens and hundreds and hundreds at a time attested and witnessed the resurrection. They witnessed the risen Christ. And those people's lives were transformed to the point where they went out and gave their lives to the expansion of that very gospel. That's the evidence of life transformation. That, that people People who were skeptical suddenly went out and gave their life for it. People who were hiding, hiding during the crucifixion, hiding because they didn't want to be associated with this man named Jesus, making all of these claims because now, now Jesus, he's not bringing in a kingdom. No, 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 he's dying. He's dying at the hands of soldiers. And they're like, I, I don't want any part of that because I don't want that for myself. They witness the resurrection. They go out and they give their life because they said, no, 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 this man this man, I saw him die, but he is alive. And if he can overcome death, then surely I can trust my life with him. And this evidence of life transformation, a perfect example is, is Peter. 
Peter, one of Jesus' best friends. Peter, who jumped out of the boat and he walks on water. Peter, who's there with Jesus and he sees all these miracles and he hears all this teaching and he's there. He's there all the way up until Jesus needed him most. And he says, I don't even know the man. I don't know him. And Luke records this snapshot where the last time Peter says that I don't even know who you're talking about. Luke records this. I love this, that Jesus looks over and he sees Peter. He makes eye contact. Think about that. How Peter would have felt in that moment, one of the lowest moments of his life. And he knows that I've let Jesus down and he goes on and Jesus is crucified on the cross. And then he's taken off the cross and he's laid into a borrowed tomb. Who borrows a tomb, right? Only Jesus could give it back. Only Jesus could return a gravesite, right? And, and, and so, so all of this happens. And so Peter is quaking in fear the next time he's in public. Next time he's in public, things has drastically changed because in John 21, it records how Jesus, he comes to Peter and he restores him and he forgives him. And then he calls him to the man, the solid rock of a man that he knows he can be. And he calls him to that. And so the very next time that Peter is seen in public, it's at the day of Pentecost where he stands up. And some of the people who crucified Jesus were there. Peter stands up in front of thousands and he proclaims the gospel of the resurrection. He says, I, I don't care. You can do that to me, but I've given my life to the one who's gone there and knows the way out. That's who I wanna trust my life with. And so that's what Peter does. And that's what all of these, these apostles do. They've witnessed the resurrection. They go out and they spread this gospel. And so we see the evidence of life transformation. It changes everything. And listen, a mentor told me years ago, he said, listen, if, if you ever meet someone who dies and three days later by their own power comes back to life, you follow that person, give your life to that person. Because only one person has ever done that. It's the name of Jesus, the name of all names by Holy Spirit power who we've resurrected and overcame death, that death was arrested on that Sunday morning. And the evidence of life transformation by the people who actually saw it is enough for me to say, hey, it's, it's, it's at least worth investigating. You know, Dave Stone in his final sermon as the lead pastor at Southeast Christian Church over in Louisville, he said this about God's word. He said, it's a book of inspiration. This is a book of information, but more than that, it's a book of transformation. And just like any book that you'll read, each page that you read gives you more insight into who the author is, which is why in this case, we need to read God's word. How would it change your, your life? How would it change the way you lean into the word if you knew that just one small grasp of this powerful God-breathed book had the ability to change your life forever? It's God's word that makes empty people whole. It's his word that brings hope to the hopeless and life to the lifeless. Man, what a statement about God's word because friends, we believe that. We believe that this is the true story of the one true God. And so here's why actually reading the Bible matters. I kind of mentioned this before, but as followers of Jesus, we should, we should be so entrenched with God's word that our lives fit into the pages of the New Testament, the followers of Jesus whose lives were changed by him, they go on and, and they show us how to live and how to lead and how to love. That our lives should fit into those very pages because thank God we live on this side of the resurrection. 
that we too can have Holy Spirit power living in us, moving through us to change the world around us. And so to live it, to live it, we've got to read it, right? And I want to provide some very basic, very simple um, like application here, okay? Um, the very first thing, if you want to read the Bible, and we're encouraging everyone to do so, we've got several different plans and that sort of thing, you got to get a Bible. And, and I encourage you, listen, if you don't have one, get one. Like get one that you can, you can hold. I love the version app, it's fantastic, but, but, but I encourage you to get a Bible. If you can't get one, hey, come talk with me, talk with Monty, we'll hook you up, we'll get you one, right? And, and so you gotta have a Bible. And once you get it, all right, that's kind of the easy part. Now you gotta read it. Now you gotta dive in to it. And, and so it, it's sort of like if, if your phone, if you've ever been locked out of your phone, you know that there's like, you can access so much, but if you can't unlock it, then you can't, you can't get to it. And so we have to know kind of how to use it. And so Monty gave a little bit of application the last two weeks. I, I wanna give something that I've encouraged hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of teenagers, students, and, and, uh, and adults to do. This acronym that I've used has helped me dive into God's word. And it's this right here, PTP, place, time, plan. This is simple, really, really simple. If you wanna take this seriously, you wanna investigate this claim that Jesus overcame death and that you too, by placing your faith in him, then, then, then just try this, find a place. Find a place that you can carve out, you can access every single day. For me, I kind of like to mix it up seasonally, right? In the wintertime, it, it might be a certain spot, in the summer it might be outside, something like that, but pick a place that you can, you can stick to for a period of time and guard that place, all right? So, so pick a place, maybe it's your back deck, your basement, your minivan, I don't know, I don't care. Pick a place and then, and then pick a time. Pick a time that works for you. It's Martin Luther who famously said, I've got so much to do today, I need to spend my first three hours in prayer. For him, I would think the morning was probably his time, right? Maybe for you, it's the morning as well. That usually works for maybe, maybe it's your lunch break. Maybe it's the evening, I, I don't know. Again, don't care. Pick a time for you. Place, time, and then finally a plan. A plan, because this is where many of us fall apart because on December 28th, we'll be like, I'm gonna read through this thing in a year. We get to the Super Bowl, we're like, I ain't touched it in a month. Right? Or we're like, oh, B90X, I'm gonna tackle this in 90 days. I'm gonna get through this thing. But, but, but listen, listen, that's why we wanna do it together. So we've given several different opportunities, several different plans. You can still check those out at our website. You can still join in on a plan. And, and we wanna do this together because accountability helps us stay sharp and grow sharper. We believe Proverbs 27, 17 is iron sharpens iron. So one person sharpens another. In fact, this F260, it's one of our Bible reading plans we're, we're promoting along with Recap. With F260, I've got two guys, Greg and Keith. They're both here today. And both of those guys, they have a full green light to throw accountability haymakers at me every single week. Checking in, hey, am, am I staying with this? And I'm gonna do the same. I'm gonna do the same. And so I wanna encourage you to do that, to dive into God's word, but, but to do it with other people. Maybe it's a group here. Maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, your family. I, I, I don't know. But I wanna encourage you to dive into this place, time, and plan, and plan. But, but I, want, I, want to, I want to caution you because I don't want you to confuse the plan as a scorecard. Like it's not a tool for guilt, but for growth. Okay, I love the way that Robbie Gallaty puts it. He says, to, to get into the word until the word gets into you. Get into the word until the word gets into you. That the goal is not just for you to get all the way through the scriptures, but for the scriptures to get all the way through you. Right, like that's what we want to do. And, and so, so the story of God, 
Long story short, the story of God is that, that, that it begins with perfect creation. We sin on page two, and the rest is the detailed account of God redeeming us through his son, Jesus Christ. But the Bible is something that you have to spend time with. And as you spend time with it, you'll begin to know it, but more so, you'll get to know its author. So don't get caught up in the trap of believing the Bible is just a manual you consult when things go wrong or life falls apart. Treat it as a book you've been invited into by a friend. Because in fact, the Bible is an invitation. It's an invitation for you to get to know God. And so yes, it's a story. And yes, it's, it's a true story, but, but above all, it's God's story that you've been invited into. And so investigate that claim. Let's pray. Father, as Peter writes in one of his letters that our faith and hope are in you, God, we're grateful for the gift of scripture. We're grateful for the invitation to join you in the work you're already doing and will continue to do. Jesus, thank you for showing us how to live and how to love. Your persistent, continuous, unceasing, unwavering, relentless love. I pray that we, we humble ourselves and as followers of you, we submit to your word and to your truth. But ultimately, God, I pray that we draw closer to you knowing that you promise to draw closer to us. And we do so by reading your word. So Holy Spirit, move in us and through us and lead us to look more like Jesus. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Philip, for bringing the word to us this morning. You know, I have to agree, there is no greater evidence of the power of God's word than the life change that follows from it. And that's, and that's really what we desire, is that you all, like we can experience it together. And so if you need a Bible plan, that we have multiple groups going on right now. We've got the Mark group getting ready to start. Sign up for that as soon as you can. Philip will be down here at the front if you want to talk more with him. But the Bible is life-changing because it is from a God who is life-changing. So if you want to know more about what it means to follow God, if you want to be able to get plugged in, come find Philip. He would love to talk to you about that. If you want to know more about student ministry, we've got some students out in the lobby that would be willing to talk with you. But we're so grateful that you all are here today. I do want to let you know that it's starting to get a little snowy and a little icy out there, so make sure you're extra careful heading home. But be safe, be blessed, and we'll see you next week.